Welcome to the third episode of the initial drop of So Stignatious, the podcast where the name is made up but the people are real. Yes, I expect you to know that tagline by now. This episode, I'm honored to present you all the wisdom of Yogi Roth. Yogi's lived a life that is really representative of what, the, of what this show is all about. He stays stagnatious. He follows his curiosities and has ended up making a career out of so many diverse avenues. Yogi played football at Pitt and hasn't really been able to leave the world of sport since then. His main goal is to uncover the humanity in sport. And he does this through so many different things. He writes books, he has a podcast, he broadcasts for Pac-12 Networks, he makes documentaries, he travels around the world looking at stories relating to sports. Um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear what Yogi has to say. I had a blast uh, doing this interview with him and he's been a really big help to me along this whole process of making this podcast get off the ground. So without further ado, here's the interview. Okay, so I'm here today with uh, Yogi Roth, uh, a modern renaissance man in a lot of ways, does a lot of different things, but generally, um, and he can tell you better than I can, but he's got a passion for telling people's stories. Um, Anyway, Yogi, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm really excited to uh, be on the conversation with you for many reasons. One is because we've been talking about this for a little bit and uh, clearly it's a passion of yours and I'm always a fan of when, you know, people like yourself in your position are utilizing football to bring you more joy in areas of interest. And for yours, it's conversation storytelling in this podcast. So uh, I'm pumped on a bunch of levels and it's almost football season. So, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm even more excited. Yeah. Best time of year for probably, uh, both of us. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So can you, Give a little background um, about yourself and about football. Uh, where did you grow up and, and how, where did football take you? Yeah, I grew up in a tiny town in Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, 2,500 people, no stoplights. We still don't have soccer, for instance. Everybody knows everybody's name, and uh, it's, it's just a tiny, tiny town. And we were kind of a little town that could, you know, always chip on the shoulder, 25 guys on the football team. And for me, my passion uh, for play became really evident really young. And football became just a natural thing. I didn't play with pads on until I was in eighth grade because my parents wouldn't let us, but I could always catch and I was always fast. And I was in love with 49ers. <laughs> and, and, you know, living out here on the West Coast, the Niners back in that day was Jerry Rice, John Taylor. I mean, I could go down yep. the whole roster, even like O-Lyman. You know, there's just – I was watching every snap and I loved that style of play. And I always would read about Jerry Rice and his work ethic and – all the elements that went along with his skill set and his game. And that was my, my position of joy. And I played a little bit of everything, but wanted to play at the highest level. Uh, I was going to go Ivy League. That was kind of the plan. And something inside me was like, you got to go bigger. Like I, I kept watching ESPN on Thursday night. And for your generation, Thursday night football is, you know, it's probably cool. But I, back in my day, it was like Monday night football in the NFL. Like it was the bomb. Like you yeah. got on Thursday night, it was it. And I can remember vividly being 17 years old saying I can't sit on another campus and watch somebody else play on ESPN on Thursday I got to give it a shot so I went to the one place that would take me and that was Pitt and ended up there because everybody else turned me down Notre Dame was my dream school when Notre Dame said no 
I said, I'm going to go to the school that plays them the most. <laughs> and it was happened to be Pitt. So I didn't look at their academics. I didn't do anything <laughs> that I would advise young men to do now. But uh, I went there, I walked on and got lucky, played in the, my second game as a freshman. It kind of became that classic walk on a scholarship story in, in college football. Man, that's so cool. Um, the other thing, while you were at Pitt, uh, I think you were there the same time as Larry Fitzgerald, right? Oh, yeah. Larry, my, it was pretty funny, actually. My roommate, my first two years in college, um, when we had games, was Antonio Bryant, who people don't really remember, but he was an All-American, won the Blitnikoff. Uh, he was, a, I think he was a second-round pick. Uh, went to the Cowboys, famously threw his jersey at Bill Parcells on the practice field. Uh, <laughs> and then my last two years was Larry Fitz. So when Antonio left, I was like, okay, cool. Like, A.B. took off. I'm going to be the dude now. And then we brought in this really tall, kind of not that <laughs> athletic, but epic hands dude named Larry Fitzgerald. And they were like, Yogi, you're going to train him. And I trained him to take my job fundamentally. And he and I still laugh about it to this day. But uh, the best team I'd ever had, uh, still the best example of what class means to me as a football player. And I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. And I got to see it up close and personal. Um, and it's pretty funny when I think about Larry, Antonio, and my roommate on campus was Andy Lee, who's still punting in the NFL. So I was around all these yeah. pros and never really thought about it. You know, we were just kind of doing our thing, as you and your teammates probably can relate to. But, yeah, they were, uh, they were guys I was around, and I got to see the vision of what excellence looked like up close at a young age. Yeah, the reason I, I asked you about that is because growing up, uh, Larry was my favorite player to watch for a lot of those reasons um, because he was such a good player, but he also had, you know, from from a viewing perspective, none of the attitude and, and ego that came with a lot of those other guys. It just seemed like he was always working and, and was just on his own grind to be the best. Um, there's I've, – I've spoken with you in the past, and I asked you, like, for – you know, what your biggest piece of advice was to uh, take advantage of being a college football player, because it's a unique opportunity athletically. But if you I think if you leverage it correctly, it can be a really, really good opportunity for you in any aspect of your life. Um, can Do you mind sharing the, the advice you shared with me about about what you think um, college student athletes should be should be doing more of? to leverage their position for sure and i and i love that question and uh i'm talking to all the players at media day about it um before the pac football season I, I talked to a bunch of teams about it around the country um and i've talked to the top high school players in the country at the opening and elite 11 about it and i think that and i believe wholeheartedly that athletes are brands too um but i also understand mm. that the word brand is not easily digestible for a coach, or I don't think it's easily understood by the athletes. So if I deleted the word brand, but I put in resume, people would get it. If I deleted the word resume and I said story, people would get it. And I believe that athletes have great stories and all too often, and I do this as a broadcaster with Ted Robinson, my partner every weekend, is we celebrate, uh, of course, the people who put helmets on, but we try to make sure that we tell stories about the faces behind those helmets and behind those face masks. And I think that's an athlete's opportunity. And I think it's even a responsibility if you want to share your story, right? So every athlete I've talked to is like, I'm a brand, man. And what we're seeing now 
more so than ever as kids start selling their own t-shirt line or creating their own YouTube series or like you creating your own podcast. And I love that. But prior to doing that, what we talked about was developing brand attributes, at least the beginning stages of what that looks like. So if I took Nike or if I took Apple or if I took Beats, you know, whatever cool brand that anybody listening to this podcast is into, we do some ideation. We wouldn't just come out and give it a cool name and a logo and say, go buy this thing. You know, we would begin with its right. origin story. So that's where you and I started. Of If you were to describe yourself on one word, what would it be? You'd answer that question in five seconds or less. Then I'd say, if your best friend described you in one word, what would it be? You'd have to answer that in five seconds. And then if I said, what mid-year freshman role coin dang, if he had to describe you in five seconds or less, what would he say? And those three words, to me, probably reflect some form of your brand attributes. And that to me is what, whether it's your podcast or t-shirt line or YouTube series, and I look at Michael Pittman Jr., Dorian Thompson Robinson, yourself as three guys in the Conference of Champions in the Pac-12, they're attempting to utilize football as a platform for their desires and to, to create some joy and some interest in other things around the game. And I love that, but I try to always push whenever I talk to any of you guys is what's the essence behind it? You know, figuring out the form of something's easy. I want to create a podcast. We talked about that. No problem. But what's the essence of it? What do you really care about? Because if you care about it, the best part's going to come through. If you've got some legitimate, at least foundational work, it's going to work. And thankfully, you've seen that up close with Justin Wilcox the day he got in. You know, the foundation he lay, laid mm -hmm. for that program is grounded, man, right? In real deal principles. You got to earn it. You're going to be smart and tough. All those things that are tent poles three years later. And I'd say the same thing with the brand. Like, I don't think you want to do 10 episodes and never do podcasts again, right? You want to do different iterations right. of a story. So that, that that's, in a nutshell, I think those are some of the things that we talked about. Yeah, and that's when I really, you know, the first time I reached out to you, it was because um, someone had pointed me to a video of you and Gary Vaynerchuk talking to the USC football team, about an hour long video, you can find it on YouTube, um, about taking advantage of this stuff and, and building your platform and your brand um, while in college. And that's when I first reached out to you. And I reached out to you with like, hey, I have this idea. I want to make this podcast, but I don't know what to talk about. Like, I'm not an expert in anything. And that's really where you pointed me. Like, it's more about, you know, for me, I'm 21. I don't, I haven't done all that much professionally. Um, I've been in school my whole life. Like I play football. That's cool stuff. But like, it's really like, I'm going to go figure out what people are interested in and how they took advantage of um, get, getting into that stuff. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do here. Um, and so you helped me kind of like think about that stuff more methodically and figure out what, what can I really talk about that that's going to make people care and make people interested. Um, so I want to talk more about your journey after, uh, college, you made your way out to the West coast, correct? Yeah. Um, when I finished, I, you know, kind of like you and, and just to back up for a second, your previous comment, I, I think the the coolest thing that you can do now is chase your curiosities versus be like, what's my number one passion in life? Uh, there's a great talk by um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote the book, Eat, Pray, Love, among others. And she's given a talk one day and 
she talks all about following your passion. Just if you chase your passion so hard with everything you got, you'll you'll achieve your dream. And somebody came up to her and said, "You know what? Like I'm so disappointed in you. I thought you would you would say something different than that. Um, I'm crushed." And she was like, "What are you talking about? I don't even know. Why would you say that?" She goes, "Well, I don't have just one passion. I got a lot of things I'm interested in." And it spawned this conversation of, "I think our life should be meant to chase our curiosities. And when you find one that." You keep leaning into and pulling the layers back on, stay into it. And I'd say that to you, and I say that to me, I say that to my wife, I say that to somebody who's 30 years older than me. Um, and I think the most successful people do because it allows you to stay on the razor's edge. And to get to your question, when I finished playing, my curiosity was around the world. You know, I grew mm. up in a house in our tiny little town. You know, my mom's Israeli, our dad studied Eastern philosophy. Um, my name is Yogi, my brother's gay. You know, we're, everybody's in arts and theater. And so my point is like, we didn't fit into like a coal region town in Northeastern United States. Yeah. And our parents didn't have the money to send us around the world. So they would bring foreign exchange students to our house and they would take my room every summer. So I got to meet Sven from Sweden and Inga from Germany and people from all over the world, from Korea and Africa and the Middle East and Jamaica. And I think that it tapped into my subconscious around wanting to explore. So when I finished playing, I was bummed that I wasn't going to play in the NFL, and I didn't really give it a shot. Um, I, I unfortunately, which is another conversation that's the only regret I have in my life, but I ended up moving to Australia, and I needed to travel, and I found that they had American football over there. And since then, they got 70 other countries, that, or 69 other countries now that have American football. But I went and played for the Gold Coast Stingrays. The quarterback was 40, our center was 18, and... I felt like Larry Fitzgerald or Jerry Rice because nobody was really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I got to get football out of my system to a certain degree. And there is an element of depression that I think every athlete feels when they're done playing. And someone says, give me your paths because it's basically what happens. Mm -hmm. And it was a very fortunate and lucky. I kind of stumbled into it moment in my career to be like, okay, this was cool. I got to say goodbye to the game kind of on my own terms. And then came back to Pittsburgh, did a year in radio, TV fell in love with the ocean when I was in Australia, needed to get back. Got a call one night in the middle of the night from Pete Carroll, and he, he offered me an opportunity to come out and work at USC. And uh, it took all about 33 seconds for me to say yes. And I was on the next flight to LA, and 15 years later, I'm still here. Was that your first experience really on the West Coast? No. When I was in college, so Pete's oldest son, Brennan, is my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. And he was also a player at Pitt, a tight end, and he took me under his wing when I showed up on campus. And, and for whatever reason, we just kind of vibed. And when he finished playing, he went out and began his coaching career. He currently is with the Seahawks. He's coached at Miami. I think he's, uh, he's going to be a household name in three years in college football if he chooses to because he's been around so many good offensive philosophies. Mm. But anyway, um, Brennan was living out in L.A., and I would go out on spring break. You know, All, all these kids, you guys go to cool places now, but – we never went anywhere, um, but I came out to Manhattan Beach. I can remember, bro, calling my mom from the Strand saying, Mom, um, how come we didn't grow up in Manhattan Beach? And she's like, what do you mean? What's it like? I've never been there either. And it was just epic. And I was like, this exists? Like, I am totally 100% going to move here and live here someday. And I came my last two years in college, went out to the couple Rose Bowls when the Trojans were, were rolling. They smoked Michigan and for somebody else. And... Uh, and just became in love with LA. And once I had a chance to move, honestly, man, it could have been for anything and I, and I would have came out. Huh. 
Man, that's super cool to hear. Um, so since then, I mean, you're still in football and you were talking about how people, you know, passions lying in a bunch of different areas, chasing your curiosities. You're still in football, but you've also done a lot of other things that aren't necessarily related to football. Um, so I just want to go into some of the some of the different avenues you've kind of chased professionally, because I think um, the way you've made your career is really in, you like built your own career. You're not following um, a path. You're letting your curiosities drive that for you. And I think that's something that's um, admirable and, and something that I may want to do uh, one day or someone listening may want to do. So um, why don't you break down a couple of the different different things you do professionally? Because I know there's a list of probably about five or six. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Well, look, I, I've been accused of and accurately of Yogi, you're going to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I'm okay with that. And, and I don't agree with that. But if that's a label I'm going to get, then that's fine. And that's pretty average. I call it playing in the sandbox. You know, it's like when people, you know, light up the Pac-12 or say that the Pac-12 doesn't have this or that. I say, you know, you're not doing the work. You're just playing off the of headlines and playing in the sandbox with the rest of the kids. And I'd say the same for people that have dubbed that to me. Um, what I've done, I think, is figured out the lens in which I want to see life. So, yeah, I've tried a lot. I ran uh, a corporate coaching company for Coach Carroll when I finished coaching for two years, see what that was like. Obviously, I'm, I've been broadcasting for the last 11 years. I've written a couple books. I've produced or directed over 20 films. Um, so I've done you know, radio shows, whatever. Like I've, I've done stuff. I'm on podcast, uh, over 100 episodes. But regardless of the list of things, that to me doesn't matter because they all led me down the opportunity to, to see what lit up my palate. Like I always tell, and I told you this when we talk, like you don't necessarily have to have a semester internship, but go spend two days shadowing somebody in an area of interest or curiosity for you and find out if you care. Like I did that in finance and hated it. My dad was a stockbroker and it was miserable. Tried it in college, hated it. I taught fourth grade for a semester. It was cool, but I wanted to be around older individuals, you know? So like, Point being, I've always tried stuff just to find out like what lights me up because I think there's nothing worse than living a life full of resentment. In fact, I think that's one of the worst words in the English language and you can feel that. You know, you've probably had teammates that are resentful of why did I make that college choice, you know, or this coach is screwing me or whatever it is and, and it's just a bad energy. So I've never wanted yeah. to live with that. So my point is I've done all that work. And then over the last couple of years, I spent time with Kevin Carroll. I'd recommend you read his book. He's on my board of life. I've been around him for the last probably 12 years um, or longer. He wrote a book called The Rules of the Red Rover Ball. Another guy named Ken Black who ran innovation at Nike for 25 years. And uh, I'm really tight with um, Jeremy Darlow, who wrote the book Athletes or Brands too. And over the last three years, I spent a lot of time with those guys honing what am I really interested in doing what I call the lonely work? And where I've netted out is that I'm simply in every lens of every one of those things that I reference that I do on my W9s or whatever, it's to seek and uncover the humanity in sports, specifically football, college football around the world. And when it's August 1st through the end of spring ball, it's all college football. And when I get my pockets to get out, I'll go to the, I'll go to Israel and I did a four part documentary series on how there's American football that women are playing in Israel. All right, I'll go to East Africa and talk about how women in soccer have pulled Rwanda outside out of a genocide. 
you know, I'll go all around the globe to tell different stories around the power of play, but it's all the seek and uncover the humanity within it. And, and I hope that people feel that when I call a game or if they read a film or if they listen to a podcast, but all of it literally revolves around that theme. And that makes it really easy for me. So I don't feel like I'm doing a million things. And now that I'm married with a child, like it totally, you're limited naturally just in terms of time and focus. Sure. Uh, but I wouldn't trade my last 12 years of seeking, you know, what my interests are. And just said, yeah, I'm just going to coach receivers and go down one path, which was there for me. I was coaching football. I could have kept coaching, uh, but it wasn't, it, it didn't engulf me where I wanted to make it like what you see Justin Wilcox doing or Steve Greatwood doing. And it's 24-7 living in the office. I didn't want that for my life. Um, so I left, but it's still a huge part of it. But it's about what's behind the face mask because the X's and O's for me were always really fun, but also came pretty natural. So yeah, in a nutshell, I'm just trying to seek and recover human humanity in sport uh, around the globe and in the Pac-12 when it's college football season. Yeah, and you mentioned um, your how how your parents would bring in uh, exchange students and that kind of subconsciously sparked your curiosity to travel. And you mentioned some of the experiences um, that where you've uh, gone and made films or documentaries um, in other countries. Uh, is there one particular experience going somewhere that just like opened your eyes in a different way or, um, you know, something, something in another country doesn't need to be football related, but in terms of the humanity of sports, that would just like kind of blew your mind. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I, there's so many, um, and I can remember, I mean, I've gotten some dark, trouble in places too and i've seen the humanity you know i got went over the west bank in israel mm. uh, which is pretty gnarly yeah uh, got in trouble in um the drc which is democratic republic of congo so i've done some things i'm definitely not proud of but where humans have really helped me you know yeah. get me out of some hairy situations but I, I think from a sports standpoint um i've really seen and i can remember when i first trips you know i just got married in bali spent a month this hey, summer. congratulations when on I, that when i Thank you. But when I lived in Australia, I went over there and I just kind of, I'm going to oh, that's my little man's name. I don't know. I think it might be in there, but why don't you ask your mom? I'm on a podcast. You want to say hi? Hi. Hi. He, he hosts a podcast too. He takes on all my equipment at our house. Oh yeah. Says, Welcome to the show. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll, I'll try to speak. So if you have to edit it, you can, but overall, uh, when I went over to when I went over to Bali, okay. um, you know, uh, it wasn't inside there. But okay. Can you, can you ask your mom? I don't know where it is. Can, can you tell her thanks for helping me out when, when I'm doing this call? <laughs> Hold on one second. Big shout out to Zane for the special guest appearance. But I'll try to start over. Um, yeah, so anyway, I remember being in Bali for the first time, and I went surfing, and here I am, a rogue, brand new surfer from Pennsylvania via Pittsburgh in Australia, now in Bali, and I saw kids surfing on boards that were smashed, boards that were half of a board, surfing on the top of like, like metal garbage cans, what you'd imagine the tops of those would look like. And it just reminded me that uh, this concept of free fun is everywhere. And I could tell you a different antidote from... Cambodia when I was on the killing fields and my mind was absolutely blown or I was in 
Africa, as I referenced, you know, I've been over 30, I think 35 countries now. And, and every time I bring one bag and one ball and I roll it out, like I did in India, like I did in, um, you know, so, so many of those areas in that part of the world where you just kind of, I mean, I, my mind's kind of racing now to, to those memories. I can remember being in India and being, walking through the slums and rolling on a soccer ball and not necessarily knowing the language, but being able to hang with, with the crew. You know, I can remember mm. going to Nepal and not necessarily knowing all of the customs, but understanding the power of spirituality and, you know, what a high five can do and how it could break tension. You know, we were there when there was a massive uh, strike going on. I was with my dad. You know, same thing. I walked through Spain and Portugal along the Camino de Santiago filming a documentary. And every time we would stop, we would just go play catch. And as simple as that is, and you could play catch with, you know, an actual ball. You could roll up a piece of paper. You can create a paper airplane. Uh, what I've really learned around the world is that we're really similar, you know, um, think about all the issues that we have, you know, I look at the Middle East and the people that are alive now don't even know why, you know, weren't even around when the, those issues kind of began. You know, you could yeah. look at what's going on in our country, you know, and one of my favorite things is going to campuses like yours and talking to people about their thoughts about what's going on around the world. And I really think play can bring us out of all of them. You look at entertainment, the number one thing watched in the history of TV is the Super Bowl, the World Cup, and the Olympics. And play unites. And I believe that it cuts through color, it cuts through religious ties, it cuts through background, it cuts through money. And um, I've seen that, man. I've seen that all over the globe. And it's it's really beautiful. And you see it in football, right? Like, you're, uh, I don't know your ethnicity, your background, but um, it's probably different than Coin Dang whose family's yeah. from, I think, Sudan, you know, mm -hmm. and you guys can hang. And it takes all of 30 seconds because you give each other a high five and you're in a locker room and power of play unites you. And it's it's become something that's really grabbed my life and, and given it great direction just because we've lived it, right? We've lived that being athletes forever. And when you get to see it around the world, you're really reminded that it's not just in our little town or our little state or our little country. You know, power of play is everywhere. Yeah, it's this language that it, it's kind of like you know people say like math is a universal language not in a fun way but like in, <laughs> in the same way like sport is this universal language that you can connect with people from all over um and i i mean i'm not as well traveled as you are but i've been out of the country a couple of times and it's you know it's similar stuff i've been to um Israel and you know, people just playing soccer or, or playing basketball and you can just hop in and I've been to um, Ecuador and I remember this, you know, just like concrete, like small little, I, I don't I guess I'd call it a soccer court because it's, it's not a field, but like, and no one having like real, you know, good shoes or anything like that. But it's like, everyone's happy and they want to jump in and they, and they want you to just join in and it doesn't matter at that point. Like you literally can't even understand a deeper, a deeper degree about these people, but you're still able to make that deeper connection. Um, and I've, I mean, I've noticed it as well. And I think it's something that's, that's really powerful and really impactful. Don't lose that Jake. That, that, that's, it's such a, you you know this, but you're so fortunate, and I see more and more athletes doing this, where they're taking their trips to whether it's build a home in Haiti or do some of the things that you reference, and don't stop because you have you may not, I don't know how many languages you speak, but one of them is play, 
You know, one of them is ball. One of my favorite phrases is we all speak ball. And mm. I think it's so, so true that that is a language of the world, much like love is, right? Um, you can feel certain things when you play and you can feel that around the world. You know, I can remember going to Rio when I finished coaching, I left and I wasn't in a good mood about it, but I left and went to South America for almost two months and I went into Rio and I had no money and I was staying in like 40 bedroom hostels, right? Stuff getting stolen left and right, but it was awesome. But I was down there during carnival and I'd walk the streets at three, four in the morning and I would see kids kicking soccer balls against the basketball goal. And that vision to me, I'll have to send you a photo of it, was just one that I'll never forget or walking through Hacinha, which is, you know, one of the you know, notable favelas in Rio and seeing kids just kicking a ball against the wall. And those are the same things we did as kids. Right? Maybe it was a baseball, maybe it was a basketball, maybe it was a football into a net, but you play it against yourself and you had this dialogue. And and I think that we lose that as we get older. We lose our joy, our imagination around our craft, and it becomes a job, right? How many times have you heard athletes say, Man, it's such a job being a division one football player? And I'm like, dude, what job are you talking about where you get to be an athlete? Like, that's such BS. Yeah. I get it's another convo, but I think that's a part where athletes aren't <laughs> educated enough to look at their own lives and say, yeah, like I put a lot of work into it, but I get to play. Like before I jump on the bandwagon of every athlete should get paid a boatload of money, let me just check myself for a second and see am I even leveraging my craft into opportunities for much more money than five to seven thousand dollars in a stipend. And that's to me where you're doing a beautiful element of this podcast that uh, you, you can't lose that that spirit, man, because it's going to carry you around the world. Appreciate the advice. And um, I, while you were talking, a question popped up in my head. Um, you're saying this is the same things about the kids that were kicking the soccer ball against the wall. You're saying that's the same things you know we were doing as kids. Do you think some of that's getting lost with, you know, sort of the rise of more technology and social medias and video games and stuff like that? Do you think kids today? Um, have less of those outdoors experiences? 100%. 100%. I went back to my hometown, which was bustling with a basketball hitting the ground. You could hear it all over the all over the town. And it felt like my town was black and white, you know, and I feel like that a lot of that that could be said for a lot of communities around the country, uh, around the world, based on what you said. Um, Also, I think the advent of all these club teams and kids going to wherever on a weekend and playing eight games is cool on one hand because it's given them structure and organization and being able to compete and being with teammates. But you also, I think, inhibit the imagination. Uh, we did this at Elite 11 this year. Um, you'll probably see it online in the next couple weeks or months when it comes out on the NFL Network, where for the first time in our 21 years, uh, we created an imagination period. And it was really fun to talk to the guys about it because I believe we have an imagination switch, a wonder switch, if per se, that somebody turns off, right? It could be an old line coach that you had in the past say, you're not that good. It could be a head coach. It could be a parent. It could be a fan on social media. But somebody turns off our wonder switch, our imagination switch, and it becomes a job. And we don't have fun. And in high school recruiting, it, it's that way a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. And we took a 15 minute period and we asked guys and I asked guys to say, what did you imagine when you were a kid? And for me, it was always playing basketball in the backyard you know, and, and I'd always hit the game winner. And if I missed a shot, I got fouled. 
And if I missed the free throw, there was a lane violation. You know, like you just kept shooting right. until you won. Right. And everybody had a different story about that. Trent Dilfer told a hilarious one. And then when we started the period, you saw kids go to every corner of the field and they were shooting footballs into garbage cans. They were talking to uh, each other about just having fun again. They were playing sharks and minnows. They were just letting their imagination kind of run wild. And I think that's something that gets lost, to your point, at a young age where the wonder switch gets turned off, the imagination switch gets turned off. And, and that's our greatest joy. You know, we should be imagining not only winning impactful titles and having fun with our teammates, but also um, remembering what it was like to just have fun. Because as we do get older, we lose some of the fun, fun in life. And that's just a natural thing. Whose responsibility is it to pass on that that sort of uh, play and imagination to generations growing up in, in this more modern age? Well, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if my take would be popular or not, but I think anybody that has a platform has a responsibility to do that. That's why it bothers me when people mm. that do have a platform take cheap shots, whether it's at athletes or whether it's at you know, people within our craft. I get it in, in the pros. I, I'm fair with that. You know, guys getting paid, it truly is a job and not ne not necessarily cheap shots, but you can be much more critical. But I think in college, if you're covering college athletics, it's your job and responsibility. Or if you're in college athletics like yourself, it's your job and responsibility to inspire the next generation of leaders and athletes and learners with something that sparks joy within you. So whether that's Patrick Laird in the Reading Challenge whether it's you in this podcast, like whatever it is, but you have to give back. And if you believe in karma and not to get weird on you, but if you believe in energy, right? If you believe, and I think anybody who's around sports does, right? On third down, get your fans yeah. loud, right? And that energy can maybe create hesitation, right? So if you look at that just within the karmic energy of life, like this game has given you a scholarship, the opportunity to play major college football, the opportunity to be around teammates, to have a free education, like, are you kidding me? Like you're not giving back. Like if you're not, like you're missing the boat, right? You have this great window of opportunity where people are also asking you, Hey, come on over and give us stuff back. I'm going to create a community for you to be able to talk to. And sometimes we, you know, athletes, you know, miss on that and they, they get started a little later, which is fine. But I, I think that it's response. It's a responsibility of those who are still quote unquote playing to make sure they remind others what the power of play is and what it can do through storytelling like this. This is free. It can get to billions of people, right? Or whether it's, you know, pulling a guy alongside in your locker room, like whatever it is. Same thing with coaches. You know, the coaches that just light up kids all day long and are yellers and screamers, uh, they're not helping the cause. Right? They're not making it enjoyable for anybody to come. But the coaches that are teaching and are teaching discipline and accountability and fundamentals and also fun and camaraderie, like Justin, you know, you got one of the best in the country in my eyes and Coach Wilcox. So uh, I think it's I think it's all of us that get to play. We got the responsibility to give back. Yeah, I agree. And and the more people I talk to, you know, it's like these similar themes start to pop up and giving back and realizing how fortunate, you know, no matter how fortunate or or not you grew up, there's always someone who's had a more there's always someone you can give back to um and i think it's recognizing that that kind of sets you know you know good people apart from like great people um in my eyes 
Um, so I want to go on to the final three, which are the last three questions that I ask everybody that comes on this show. So the first one is what's one thing that you've read, watched, or listened to lately, um, that you think the audience would have an interest in checking out? That's a great question. Um, God, there's a lot, you know, um, try to take in a ton of content, something the audience would really like to check out, um, so I just read a great article on podcasting in the New York Times yesterday. I got to send it to you. Uh, but I think for the audience, I, I still go back to uh, kind of a foundational moment for me. And I try to read this every off season, but it's a book called The Alchemist. And I believe we've talked mm-hmm. about it, but it's all about a young man's journey. And it's this fable of how he's kind of seeking his purpose in life and trying to understand the world. And for me, I read it at 22, 23, right when I moved to LA. And it's become my de facto Bible. Um, I'm a real spiritual dude. Um, I don't practice a dramatic amount of religion. But this book is kind of a guidepost for my life around, you know, making sure you're having joy, making sure that you're seeking and uncovering whatever it is you're curious about. And remembering that the language of the world is not English or Spanish or Hebrew or Afrikaans. It is love. And, and I think now, specifically at the time we're in around this world where it's so easy to be loud because it takes a couple clicks and a tweet, um, and it's so easy to say, hey, love me up, double tap my life. Uh, it's so easy to attack somebody, to you know crash a party instead of throwing one that maybe isn't what the norm thinks. Uh, this book, I think, is a reminder of that subconsciously in a beautiful, in a beautiful way, man. And uh, I, I'd go with... With that, a thousand percent. Awesome. Yeah, I, I remember I had to read that in uh, high school, I think. And like, you know, whenever there's a book that you have to read, there's always so many people like, oh, you have to read this terrible book. But like that book, um, I remember I, I distinctly enjoyed that one. Um, next question is, who or what was your biggest inspiration to figuring out your passions and acting on them? Uh, Pete Carroll was huge. Pete took the clay that my parents molded, or the clay that my parents created, you know, and they put all the ingredients in it, and he gave it structure. He really made me figure out a style, a vision, a theme, a philosophy in my life at 23 years old. And at the time, you're in it, and you know how cool it is, but you don't realize how beneficial it is. So him in my 20s was huge, and then in my 30s, what I've try to curate is what I referenced earlier, which is a board of life, you know, and that's kind of like my squad and it's Ken Black and Kevin Carroll. And those are the two guys I go to on everything, whether it's, should I take this show? Um, should I sell this t-shirt on my website? Um, this is what I'm feeling in life. Hey, this is how I'm going to propose, you know, like everything. Um, I go to those guys yeah. on it. And I think it's important for us to seek out mentors. And I talked about it with Gary Vee. You know, when I was in college, I asked a fifth-year senior, give me some advice when I was a freshman on the bus to practice. And he said, get three business cards every day after practice. And I thought that was so cool. And I did that for four years at Pitt. And now I've got a great network there. But now, Gary Vee reminded me, it's even easier. You just send a DM to anybody you want, right? And by you having whether it's a check mark or a picture of you in a jersey or a well-defined bio of being a student athlete, more than, well, more than likely you're going to get a response. So I, I always tell young athletes to 
create your board, your board of life. Who do you want to learn from? And send them a minute, send them a note. You know, people want to give back, specifically people that have gone or have ties to your institution. Um, it's a layup and it's a no brainer. So whether that's in entertainment or politics or whatever it is, um, that's what I would attack. Awesome. Um, and my very last question to you today is what is your current goal? Yeah. My, my, my current goal is, is really simple and I want to live a full life and impact the world in a really cool way, you know, and a full life to me has changed. You know, it used to be a packed schedule running around everywhere. Um, really growing as an individual in the entertainment storytelling scene. Now a full life consists of a wife and a son and a family and nothing's better than, you know, him coming in here during this podcast interview and yelling like, I love that. You know, like (laughs) it's really shifted me in a lot of ways. Uh, But I also want to impact the world in a cool way. And when I was coaching quarterbacks, I never forgot this. I was like, this is fun. I'm coaching Mark Sanchez and five other guys in this room, and it's awesome. And someday, if I'm a head coach, I'll be able to impact 105 guys and an entire campus. And someday, if I'm really lucky and the stars align, I could be Pete Carroll and influence a whole sport. And I think he did that. But I also saw the journey that it took him to go do that and how lucky he had to get. I mean, this guy got turned down by North Carolina. They wouldn't even give him an interview, you know, 20 years ago. You know, he's the fifth choice yeah. in SC and he's gone down as arguably one or two in terms of the top coaches in college football history, at least recent history. And I'd say one because I think it's way harder to win here than it is in Alabama in terms of recruiting in LA, et cetera. But I think that uh, I think that he just gave me that – he kind of gave me that structure and, um, yeah, to, to kind of just figure out who I was and what I was about. And then those other guys – they were able to say, all right, how are we going to chase the world? And getting back to the quarterback thing, I had five quarterbacks in the room, really cool. And I said, well, if I'm in entertainment, I can do one game and I can talk to a million people every time I call a county, right? I can mm-hmm. impact, instead of coaching five guys, I can coach yeah. a million. And I say that, and Ted Robinson, my partner, and I say it every weekend, along with our producer, um, our only goal is to celebrate the game and coach the viewer. So to me, to, to live a full life, and then to impact the world in a cool way is is what I want to do. So I hope that when you listen on Saturdays, whether it's a player or whether it's a parent or whether it's a random fan or whether it's just a passerby, they're like, wow, I didn't think of the game like that. Oh, man, Jake has this really cool story. Yogi just talked about his podcast. That's rad. I didn't think that was possible. Oh, man, this is how they're playing their defensive coverage against the air raid in Washington State. Oh, this is really interesting. So whether whatever your interests are, um, and it could be in a book, it could be in a film, I hope I just impact you in a cool way to make you pause for a second and think a little different. And I'll never bat a thousand. And who knows if, I, if I've even done that at all. Um, but those are those are the goals that I have. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. With me today, um, if people are listening and want to check out some of your content or or reach out to you or anything like that, anything you want to plug, go for it. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is you know make sure you love up the Pac-12. You know, and you know, you'll see me on social media all season. I'll do a little segment called Tell the Truth Monday and just get to know the truth of the conference versus kind of sometimes what you hear, what you read. You know, I think this conference is beautiful and to be able to be on the ground floor when it started and to be, you know, at the site of all of our big college football stuff and to talk to all the players and the coaches and to have the responsibility to share their stories. I hope you get to kind of come and join in. 
And if you want more, I'd say listen to my podcast. Uh, Simple, it's Yogi Ross Show. Season five is coming up, and it is a deep dive into, you know, basically people where we take the headset and the helmet off. You know, Eric Dickerson's going to be my first guest. Jed Fish, who's uh, mm-hmm. OC at the Rams, second guest. Um, uh, Antonio Gates, tight end for Chargers, third guest. The owners of the Chargers, fourth guest. Like I got some really fun people that it's easy to have an opinion on because they play or they coach or they're around sport. But when you get to know their journey, you're like, whoa, A, that's kind of relatable because grit, perseverance, accountability, confidence, struggles. We all have kind of somewhere on the spectrum some of those things. And hopefully you can come there to uh, to listen in. And as always, you know, sharing that and kicking it out to your friends and your community is always appreciated. All right, Yogi. Thank you so much. And go go enjoy your family. Uh, I know you're what, Zane, you said his name is? Yeah, yeah. Impatient, impatient to go hang out with dad. So I'll go let you get to that. Cool. Well, let, let me tell you lastly, um, number one, Zane is a huge football fan. We wake up every morning, we watch a game together and he, he's really good at the clicker. Right. So if you need him to come in a cow and watch some O-line film, <laughs> you know, or, or coach up some of the other position groups, let, let us know. We'll come coach in. me up. Yeah. 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 He'll, he'll try. Uh, he doesn't have the size <laughs> yet, but he'll, he's a, he's a competitor. Uh, but most importantly, um, congratulations on what you're doing. What you're doing is not easy. Thank you. It is so easy to say, I want to write a book. I want to start a podcast. I want to have a YouTube channel. And it's really easy to create that stuff now. And it's really easy for it to be bad and to be not very purposeful. And since our talk a couple months ago, I could tell that you leaned in and did the lonely work necessary to just give yourself a fair shot at it, you know, to do it with some purpose. And and I, I'm not surprised because you play Cal and you go to school there and you're coached by Coach Wilcox and that staff. But I really mean it, man. There's a lot of athletes that would agree that they are brands and they had, want to build a resume and they want to share their story and not a lot that do the work to ideate and curate and be purposeful around it. So I, whether one person downloads this or 10 million, you've done work that is going to be so beneficial. And uh, I can't wait to get to know more about your story. All right, man. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. Man, I learned so much every time that I talk to Yogi. He's experienced so many unique things and has seen a lot. And it's really just an honor to be able to gather some of his experiences. Again, I need to shout out my man Zane for being the cutest guest to ever make an appearance on this show so far. Uh, This is the end of my initial drop, but I'm planning on weekly releases from here through the end of football season, so please share these podcasts, leave a rating, subscribe, and we can continue to be stignatious together. Until you hear from me next, stay stignatious.